You're smart. Your TV is smart. That's why you cut the cord. But you need one more thing. Alaska's news source. Watch live or when it's convenient for you. Here's how. Just search Alaska's news source on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, or Android TV. Install and enjoy. It's completely free and has everything you need in one spot. Breaking news. Statewide weather. In-depth investigations. Start streaming Alaska's news source live today. Pipeline. Who are you? I forget. <laughs> I am Rebecca Polsha. It's been a while. I know I'm, it's been forever. I am David Bernkoff. We apologize. We we were covering a murder trial, and that took all of our time for a while, and almost a month. Almost, almost a month. A month. Yeah. The Brian Smith trial, but we're done with that now. We're back to more normal coverages, including the political pipeline. And I'd like to remind you all now to please like us, save us, make us one of your favorites. Whatever you do. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) We're like a desperate. (laughs) Please like us, please. Please. We are desperate for more (laughs) listeners and more love. Uh, And you can share the love by liking us and following us. But on to something serious. This is legislative season. There's a lot of talk. I don't know if there's a lot of action yet, but this is normal, right? Yes, totally normal. So let us join our legislative correspondent, Stephen Kirch, who's in Juneau. Welcome, Stephen. You're in Juneau, still covering, I don't know, is it a non-productive or a productive session so far? Um, I'd say it's a productive session because um, I know that many lawmakers here, um, even though they're upset, you know, maybe what the governor recently did, but they, you know, they've both been productive because they've been able to get Education out of the way early and not late in the session where they feel like they're in a rush. So I think many lawmakers we talked to would say, regardless of what happened this week, this has been a productive session. All right, let's begin with education because the governor gave a proposal, the legislature voted for something else. Tell us what the highlights are of each and where we stand. So as you know, the House Rules Committee, they passed a comprehensive education package that dealt with charter schools, increasing the DSA by 300, um, correspondence study, um, teacher bonuses by $15,000, depending on where you live. And House lawmakers, you know, the majority and some of the Bush lawmakers, they looked at it, didn't like it. You know, I guess you got to narrow it down to one or two things. They felt like teacher bonuses were not, you know, help with recruitment and retaining the teachers, and they really felt like there was a need to increase that BSA to 680. So that's what they got. That's what passed the House. That's what passed the Senate. The governor looked at that and said, that's not what I had in mind. He really wants those teacher bonuses in there of five to $15,000. He commented this past week that bonuses like that, that could really help a teacher who's dealing with student debt pay off those loans. And he feels like, this is a critical point for recruiting and retaining teachers in Alaska. And he said over and over again, 
We've looked at other things in the past. We've done the same thing over and over again. It has not worked. He wants to try something new, and those teacher bonus incentives are really what he wants. And he also kind of feels like Alaska's got a great charter school system. He wants to streamline that process to create more charter schools, and that's what he wants to see in this new proposal that lawmakers are supposed to put together. I don't know how many days they have left, maybe 12, 11 days left. That's what he really wants to see in the next couple of days, because he says if he doesn't see something new, new language, or a new proposal, he's going to veto the one that passed the House and the Senate. Is there any sense that the House and the Senate will now go back and add one or two of the things he wants? Um, that's what we're looking to see right now. Senate lawmakers recently had a little press conference, and they said putting this together, and at the time when the governor issued that veto threat, they had 14 days, and they said 14 days. Um, they don't know if they can do it in 14 days, and they're going to have to look at some bills that are floating around right now that maybe that can be reworked, restructure to meet with the governor. I mean, it's right now to get the game what's going to happen. I mean, is there a possibility they might talk to the governor and try to work something with him so this legislation isn't vetoed? Is it possible something might come up in the next couple of days that they can pass through both chambers, the House and the Senate? Um, it's, it right now, it's anybody guess what's going to happen. So right now we still have two opposing plans. Uh, a, an outsider like me looks at it and says, well, maybe if it shouldn't be that hard to throw some more money in for teacher retention, maybe help a little with the charter school thing, maybe take a little out of something else, and you come to a compromise. But that's not a clear path is what you're saying. Yeah, um, so basically when the senators were talking, um, they were spitballing on how much these teacher bonuses would cost. And they said it probably cost around $60 million. And they just don't know if that money's there. In order to come up with that money, they feel like they might have to cut something. Um, and so, you know, nope, the governor didn't say this, but they're saying, okay, well, if you read the tea leaves, they're saying, okay, well, we're going to have to cut the BSA to fit right. those teacher bonuses in there. Um, so that's kind of like, now the governor did not say he wants to be a big uh, He's not hinted at that. He, the way he talked, is he hinted that he took the money there. But Senate lawmakers were crushing that and saying, no, we don't think the money is there for this. And something would have to be cut. So right now, it's really interesting to see what's going to happen over these, I guess, week and a half, two weeks, see what happens. I mean, did they call us up and say, well, we don't think the votes are there. We think we got the votes to override your veto, or do they do come up with something? So right now it's a guessing game. One other thing that I have a little knowledge of is this charter school issue. The governor has repeatedly relied on a Harvard University study that came out a few months ago that unexpectedly put Alaska's charter schools at the very top of the list of all charter schools in the country. And so he has taken that study and said, this is a clear success. We're the best in the country. Let's do more. Having spoken to the man who was the prime professor behind this study, he is confused by those numbers. I mean, he stands by them that Alaska did well. No question about that. But in terms of why it did well and how it's um, how those results could or should be used to expand charter schools, the person who did the study was not 
able to provide an answer of why Alaska did so well or whether they could replicate it. So it's kind of interesting. The governor has taken a step or two beyond what the study uh, actually shows. Uh, and I don't know whether he, in any of his news conferences or statements or his staff, have ever expressed any question about what that study actually shows. So from your standpoint, does the governor just assume now, because of that study, that charter schools are great, or do they concede that there's some wiggle room in that? Lawmakers or even some people in the media push back against that. I mean, there might be a little pushback, but the governor has not backed down off of that study. He's recited it many times. He believes a lot of his charter schools are successful. He even in his last press conference, he wouldn't even want to, he even went as far as to say we should be creating more charter schools because he does see that as a recruiting tool to get more teachers to Alaska that are successful charter schools. So the fact that you said that, that's a very good point that should be brought up. Well, we're going to be, the investigative unit is going to be doing a story in the next week or two with the author of the study to get a more in-depth understanding from him about what it does and doesn't show. But again, from my conversations with that gentleman recently, um, he said they were surprised when their numbers came in and actually rechecked them. That's how surprised they were. They expected Massachusetts to be at the top or some other larger state that has been doing charter schools in a bigger way. He was surprised, and they went back, checked the numbers. Yes, Alaska absolutely was number one, but why he could not, he didn't even really want to speculate because they they were so surprised. So that's an interesting little aside that we'll have more of. There's one more big issue that everyone in Alaska cares about, and that is the PFD. And I must admit, when I was reading about the proposed constitutional amendments and all these measures to maybe change who's even eligible, I thought, holy cow, are they going to mess with the PFD? What is going on there? Um, yeah, so, um, so basically the proposal that, you know, is really sponsored by Representative Ben, ben Carpenter, um, he's just basically saying he wants to in statute that, you know, the PFD's got to be done by the formula and it can't be done by the appropriation process. He made a comment, and so, like, he doesn't want the PFD being used to, say, offset deficits. He wants it being used, he doesn't want through the appropriation process, wants it done by the formula. So, yeah, now a couple of days ago, you know, some lawmakers, you know, are using amendments, and they used that opportunity to, you know, play around a little bit. You know, like, there was one amendment by, um, by Representative Gray that where he wanted to put a threshold saying anyone making more than $150,000 a year shouldn't be eligible for a PFD. There was another one by Representative Fields that was a little lower, and it was for, I believe it was 50000 and for joint filers it would be 100000 That would be the threshold. Um, but, you know, a lot of representatives like Jenny Allard said, okay, well, now you're making the PFD into a welfare program. It's not a welfare program. It's for all lasting. So that's where that came about. And then there was another, you know, amendment by Zach Fields, you know, to say um, he doesn't feel like people who are unemployed between the ages of six, 18 and 65 should be eligible for a PFD. And again, there was pushback by some people um, who said, okay, well, what about someone who chooses to stay home with a kid and raise the kid by one of the spouse's words? 
why should it be discriminated against? So that's where, so all those amendments went nowhere. And right now it's just down to the core proposal. Okay, so we're, the, the idea that they're going to means test or jobs test the PFD, those are dead. Correct. Yeah. Okay. They seemed like ideas when I heard them that were going to die pretty quickly because I can't imagine more of a third rail, as they say, in politics in Alaska than removing people from eligibility for the PFD. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what about the main constitutional amendment that would change how the legislature would have to deal with uh, distributions in the future. Does that have a real chance to get to the ballot? Because I think it has to be voted on if if it were to pass. Uh, so, so I got it. So right now, um, the proposal that's in front of the House right now, yeah, as you said, like two-thirds. Um, most of the people I've heard talk have been in support of this constitutional amendment relating to the PSD. Um, but, you know, like what they say and how they vote are two different things. <laughs> but right now... But right now, the only person who I see vocal in opposing this is Representative Josephson. And Representative Gray, I mean, from the way he's talked, it seems like he might be against this, too. But right now, it seems like the, major the House majority is behind this. And so, you know, how the Senate would vote, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard them comment a lot about it. But right now, it just seems like there's a lot of momentum behind this constitutional amendment. All right. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us with the latest of what's going on in Juno. For our listeners, please watch our newscasts and read on our website because Steve is updating all the time. And it is, is it fair to say it's more than a full-time job to keep up with the legislature right now? Okay, you don't want to comment on that. Don't get in trouble with management. All righty. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Thank you again. Now let's talk about another bit of state politics, which is this week the Alaska Division of Elections uh, gave initial approval to two signature-generated measures for the next election. So in other words, groups go out and try to get enough signatures to get constitutional amendments or other measures on the ballot, and two seem to have enough votes. One is a relatively straightforward increase in the minimum wage, it would rise if approved by voters in stages in the state of Alaska, three stages, getting all the way up to $15 an hour by 2027. Measures like that have passed in almost every state where they have been put on the ballot. We'll see if it ends up on the ballot in 2024. Mm -hmm. The more controversial one, we've been telling you if you're a regular listener to the podcast, that we might get a chance to vote on ranked choice voting again. And it looks like that's going to happen, doesn't it? It sure does. That came out, what, was that yesterday yeah, or the day before? Ago. And yeah, we're back to that again. What's old is new. What's old is new. And the first time it passed, it was very close. Mm -hmm. It might be close again. It's important to note two things. The state has not checked the signatures yet. They've only totaled them up and made sure that they meet the qualifications of being from enough different areas and that there are, in fact, signatures on documents, it's not likely, because they have way more than the, the number necessary, it's not yeah. likely that either of these measures would fall 
off the ballot because the signatures don't check up, but that is a possibility. And part two of this announcement is <laughs> that the next election will be held with ranked choice voting. If the measure were to pass and ranked choice voting would be stopped in the state, that new stoppage would not occur until the 2026 election. So we could have a back to the old system <laughs> in 2026, the same system. It all remains to be seen. It is. It's been interesting to see how that, um, how ranked choice voting has played out during elections. And um, that's that's been a fun process to watch. Yeah, the more conservative mm -hmm. uh, people who oppose ranked choice voting generally, and this measure is on the ballot because of that group working hard to get it again on the ballot, they don't like it because by design, ranked choice voting is designed to sort of push the results towards the middle on the theory that governance is better if people want to compromise. The people on the right and some people on the left feel like it forces them further away from power because it stops uh, political parties from picking their own candidates. Essentially, it's just one big group fighting to be in the final two and then ultimately winning. And so because you pick a second choice, it it is believed and it seems to work out that way that the people on the more further ends of the political spectrum suffer. It would be interesting, actually, now, now I'm curious to read stories about how ranked choice voting has been in states that are blue states. You know, because it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think I've ever lived in a state that wasn't a Republican state. Well, not, not true. Hawaii once. Um, but to, because it keeps the extremes of both sides out of winning, it would be interesting to see the stories from a more liberal state. Well, you know, you know I – I sometimes go down to University of Colorado to teach, which is one of the most liberal communities in the country, Boulder, and they, uh, their elections are ranked choice. And this most recent election, uh, again, the Republicans uh, complained because there were three main candidates, a very, very liberal Democrat, a more mainstream Democrat, and a pretty mainstream Republican. And the uh, the way it worked out, there never was a head-to-head -head hmm. between the more mainstream Democrat and the mainstream Republican because the voters who picked the third more liberal Democrat picked the liberal Demo the not-so-liberal Democrat as their second choice, and that person got pushed over the top. So that was a case hmm. where, again, it hurt the more liberal candidate mm -hmm. possibly, although that person finished third and probably wasn't going to win. But it never got to, let's just have a race between the two of these the people, two, yeah. which might have been closer. You never know. But yeah. That, again, that was how it played out there. So I'm sure it plays out differently in, in, in many states, but it does generally have the effect of the more in the middle you are, the more you benefit from those second, third, mm -hmm. fourth, fifth ranked choice selections. Yeah. And even when people were campaigning, they were, you know, you could see that playing out. Right. Except for Sarah Palin, who yeah. didn't want initially in the in the first, you know, we mm -hmm. had that strange situation where it's to fill the unexpired seat and then the next seat. Mm -hmm. In the first round, she didn't want to play to the middle and didn't want 
to ask supporters of the other Republican to vote for her. By the time she got around to that, it was probably too late. But yeah. Yeah, that, that's the game. It's a game. It's like anything else in <laughs> politics. It's There's a strategy, and the strategy of ranked choice voting is if you have it, you have to sort of think about what you can do to be the second choice. Mm-hmm. All right. We're not done with ranked choice voting. <laughs> we're Sorry. We're, we're going to deal mm-hmm. with it forever maybe. Here's something else we've been dealing with. Not funny. Uh, the mayor, Mayor Bronson, just yesterday proposed – another new ordinance to deal with homelessness. And this is kind of a complicated thing because Mm -hmm. we can give a little legal lesson here. Oh, a legal lesson. All right, let's hear this one. The the city of Anchorage and the state of Alaska and all the states in the Western United States, stop me if you've heard this, (laughs) cannot abate camps, Mm -hmm. homeless camps, unless they have a place for homeless people to go, which has consistently thwarted efforts to shut down big camps like Third and Ingra and Cuddy Park. Now, the city and other states and other cities have asked the Supreme Court to review the court ruling that in the Western U.S. that holds that, and they have agreed to look at that, and they might keep it or they might throw it out. Mm -hmm. But before they get to that, Mayor Bronson proposed a new abatement ordinance, which would change some of the things about how the city has handled abatement. It would change from, I think, from 10 days to three days, Mm. how long the state would have to, the city would have to give people notice. It would set up all kinds of restrictions on where you could have a camp. Mm -hmm. It would restrict the size of a camp. And so the question would be for lawyers who might want to sue if this were to pass the assembly, is this in effect a way to try to get around the court ruling and you're moving people, you're telling people that you're not restricting them from being outside, but you're making it so restrictive that there's no place in the city where they could actually be. And so then it would be probably subject to a lawsuit. But the mayor cited Tacoma, Washington as an example of a city that has done this and had some success. And Tacoma's plan has had some success is shut down the big camps. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is people, it didn't reduce the number of homeless people, it just spread them out. They're just more all over the city in smaller groups. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Do you th- where are we on that? We're just going to, I guess the city assembly, the municipal assembly will take this up next week, supposedly. It was, um, I was looking through emails and it was Chris Constant who said at one point, um, that it ringed of a campaign issue. And it, it does make you question, you know, we're coming up on a mayor's election. This has been, this and plowing has been the biggest topics for this election. And now there's a an a idea, proposal. a new proposal. After, really, we've seen the same things over and over and over and just had one season move into another season of no plans and you know, and no place for homeless people. And, you know, so this is... At least not enough places no. for homeless people. Because yeah. they did stand up 500 places temporarily in the winter, and now mm-hmm. they've got a plan to hopefully house 150 of those people permanently. But what's interesting about this is this is clearly an effort to get around the, the ruling mm-hmm. that says you can't close down camps. 
And just to be clear, the city, any city, any state could always uh, act on illegal activity to mm -hmm. remove people from a camp if they were doing something illegal. It's not like the court said if people are dealing drugs or just look the other that, way, yeah, you can't yeah. do anything if you don't have a place for them to stay because yeah. you have a jail where they can stay <laughs> yeah. uh, if they're doing something illegal. This is a way to try to say, you know what, we don't want, particularly downtown, mm -hmm. we don't want any more homeless people downtown. Third and Ingra was a disaster by everyone's account last year. It got out of control. And dangerous. You and I was, spent some time Yeah, we there. spent time there. It was dangerous. Yeah. And, and we so, we would see things that looked scary with ske women involved. and Sketchy, you know. for sure. Same thing at Cuddy. Mm -hmm. These large camps aren't good for anybody. No, and they're rather aggressive and probably just a, you know, you worry about everybody there right. who's being used and, you know. Right. And so if you make them smaller, theoretically, some of those problems go away. Here's the question that is unanswered now and maybe unanswerable. Let's say you have 500 people in a place like Cuddy or Third and Ingra, and you say, this is no longer appropriate. It's too close to a school. It's too close to a homeless shelter. It violates the ordinance. Too many. You, you 500 people have to go. Yeah. And we have maybe some services for you. Let's say 400 of those people choose to go elsewhere. Where are they going to go? They're not yeah. going to leave town. They're just going to go further away. And that's, this you, won't is the, see, you won't see them. Right. And that's what Tacoma has found mm -hmm. in the time they've created this ordinance. It has, by many accounts, cleaned up the places that people most don't want to see big camps. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't reduced the number of homeless people. They're just further in the woods or... There are a few under an overpass instead of 50 in a camp. They're still there. And what homeless advocates in Tacoma say, it makes it actually harder to give them services. Because you can't find people? Right. Yeah. I still think, too, you know, like we're coming up very quickly on the tourist season, and there's that camp still that's um, right by the railroad. That's the first thing that people see when they get to town is a homeless camp on a hill. You know, and that's your downtown. We were at the Ferrandi stuff, and you're, like, watching fireworks, and below you is a homeless camp. It just – I can't imagine what that says to a tourist. Right. And like I say, a lot of people in Tacoma are happy because places like that are gone from their mm -hmm. line of sight. And that is a part of making voters happy. There's no yeah. question about it. out of sight, out of mind kind right. of – right. I don't want to see it anymore kind of mentality. So that could be – what's in store for Anchorage. We don't know yet what the city assembly's reaction will be. There's going to be a debate, and then I assume there will be a vote, and there might be changes to what the mayor proposed. But speaking of elections, hmm. and this being an election issue, you are involved in something that our TV station is going to be doing in about two weeks, March 13th, I believe. What is that thing? <laughs> we have a debate. We have a debate. <laughs> I've, I have been so immersed in a, that court trial that now I'm like, oh, there's other things in the world? Like, I have to be ready for a debate? <laughs> and the four candidates who will be participating yes. are generally the four candidates who news media and other political people consider the main candidates. Who are they? Who are those four candidates? Oh, geez, that's Chris Tuck, Bronson, David Bronson, Bill Pop, and... Um, Suzanne LaFrance. Thank you. 
Thank you. Our former <laughs> assembly chair. And they will be here at our studio? Yeah, everyone's coming here. I hadn't, I have not seen the design yet, but they, I saw they were messing around with sets the other day, so that's fun. And I just went and looked at a graphic that will have more yellow for the Alaska flag. <laughs> <laughs> These are all the behind-the-scenes stuff that's so important that no one ever knows how much work has gone into. This is why you listen to this podcast, <laughs> to hear the behind-the-scenes stuff about how much effort has to go into uh -huh. graphic design and graphic lighting design. questions. That yellow was not yellow enough that I saw today. <laughs> how long will this debate be? Oh, you know, this is sad. I don't remember. I think it's an hour. And your role in it, let's let people know because <laughs> they can participate as well. Yes. Social media. Send us questions. I want to read them. I want to hear your thoughts. I want new blood in this for questions. Send them. Send them all to us so we can ask them. So because, I can ask them. Because she will be your... Your Social voice. media. <laughs> yeah. I am speaking on your behalf. So I think we're done speaking on anyone's <laughs> behalf now. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye.